You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We are jumping into our series called By Faith, and it's just been a great series so far. I really believe God's got a breakthrough in wanting for you and me to believe him more, to trust his love, that he cares for you, that he loves you, and that he really wants to make an impact in your life and through your life. He doesn't want you just to coast through life or be where you are. If you've grown in the Lord over the years, God loves you. And he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants you to go deeper. He wants you to actually engage with him and live by faith in some areas that you haven't. And I don't know if if you're like me, but I find that I want two things in life. Two things that are actually in opposition to one another. I want a nice little life. And I want to be used greatly in the kingdom of God. Do you, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm talking about, right? That, that I, I, when I'm in the place when I want a nice little life, I end up making decisions that cause me to live in just small ways outside of Jesus. The shepherd's heading in one direction, and I'm heading in another, and not in flagrant sin, but basically that I simply have wandered off looking for some pasture that I deem best. Can you relate You want a nice little life, and you want to be used greatly in the kingdom of God. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and Hebrews chapter 11 talks so much about these these people of the faith who lived by faith. It's almost like a, a hero's rendering in the New Testament of the faith decisions of people in the Old Testament. And we're looking at it, and our passage comes, our theme comes from Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. It says, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not, what? We don't see it. This is what the ancients were commended for. And the author of Hebrews begins by talking about uh, these ancient people, and he begins chronologically. He starts off by sharing that in the beginning, the universe was formed by God's word. And then he starts with the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah. Now he's going to get into Abraham and Sarah. And he's going to get into a few of their descendants, specifically Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. So he's talking to us about faith. These would be otherwise ordinary people who made decisions to obey God, decisions to follow God when they could have just followed their own little life. But by faith, they lived a greater story than they would have otherwise. I'll bet somewhere inside of you, you know you're too attached to this world. You're too attached to doing everything like everybody else does. You're too attached to the comforts of an American lifestyle. You're too attached to what this world loves. And I'll bet somewhere deep inside, you know that even though The Bible says that as believers in Jesus Christ, we're not of this world. That we're to live for a kingdom that is yet to come. We're to live for the kingdom of God and be the kingdom of God on earth right now, but we're to live into eternity. But I'll bet that at times you know that you're a little too attached to this world. Perhaps you get so easily bent out of shape when politics and people and opinions turn worldly. You just get so wound up because in so many ways, we want God to make this state or this nation what we think it ought to be. 
and you have your eyes and your heart set on the world that you can see rather than living for God's kingdom. And what happens is it's very possible that our heart begins to pull us to this nice little life. It begins pulling us off mission just a little bit. And God wants to bring us back into his story and stop us from simply living by what is sight. Why would living by sight be offensive to God? Why would living by sight be like an insult to God? Because we begin to trust what we can see instead of trusting his promises that we're waiting for. It's almost like we run ahead of him, that we are living based on what we can see and we begin to trust that instead of God. We begin to say, we think that is possible and so that's the limitation is only what God can do. Well, here's why you and I need this sermon. You can be people who won't insult God with small thinking or safe living. You can be people who live by faith and believe God. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, open with me to chapter 11, verse 8. We're going to talk about Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and what? went, even though he did not know where he was going. Can you imagine that discussion? Hey, honey, we're going to pack up the kids. We're going to pack up everything. We're going we're gonna to go off. And Great, where are we going? I don't really know. But that's what they did. They packed up their possessions and the people that were with them. So it says, uh, verse 9, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is who god most cities you and i know the architect and builder is people he's looking for something different isn't he verse 11 and by faith even sarah that's abraham's wife who is past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So Hebrews chapter 11 begins to introduce us to the very real man, Abraham. And Abraham means father of many. You're going to be the father of a multitude. You're going to be the father of all these people, a father of a nation. It's going to be a beautiful thing. God is making him this promise. Number one in your outline says this, faith believes God's promise for a future inheritance and you're to live your life now for that future in heaven. That eternity starts now. It's not just a later thing. It actually starts right now. So faith believes God's inheritance, a city built for you and for me that is built by God. Well, what's the problem? We like security too much. We want to cling to our kids and to our relationships and your stuff and your retirement and your family and your visions of security. And so what happens is we begin to settle for what we think to be is a nice little life, which by the way, a nice little life is full of disappointments. A nice little life is full of setbacks. A nice little life is full of aging. A nice little life is full of just being mortal. It's not all it's promised to be. But God wants us to draw us out that in our earthly time, we began to live for him. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to go all the way back and look at who this guy Abraham is and what happened in the historical account of his life and his decisions that he made by faith. If you flip back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, 
Beginning with verse 1, it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So again, now this, his name originally is Abram. You know what Abram means? Abram means exalted father. So here's a guy, his whole life, he's got no kids. His name means exalted father. See, in our culture, we don't really know what your name means. If your name is Shaniqua, I don't really know what Shaniqua means. I just know that that's your name. You might not know what the name David means, but you know that that's my name, right? We don't know what names mean. But in Jewish times, their names were common Jewish words, and they came with a description. So what happened is all the time, people called Abram exalted father, exalted father, exalted father, and he's got no kids. Every time he hears his name, it's almost like it's an insult. And now God comes along and makes him this great promise. And he told them, I, I want you to leave your country, leave your people and your family. Let me ask you, which of those three would be the hardest for you to leave? Some of you, I can leave my family, no problem. They're a little crazy. But if God wanted you to relocate, and some of you have relocated from somewhere else to here, but if God wanted you to relocate, you, which of those three is the hardest for you to leave? Is it your country? Would it be hard to leave your country? Like, I leave the United States, but I'm always grateful to come back. But what about leaving your country? For some of you, is it your family? Or is it your peeps, your people? Which would be the hardest for you to leave? And so Abram was called to leave those three, and he obeyed God and did. Verse 2, God said to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You say, how in the world is that possible? Well, it's possible because God's answer to our sin problem, salvation, will come through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes through the family line of Abraham. God is saying, you who have no kids... I'm going to enable your wife who is beyond her childbearing years and you who are old. I'm going to enable you two to have a kid and through your family line, the Messiah will come and he will save the people from their sins. All nations, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Verse four, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with them and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham goes out by faith. Where are we going? I don't know, but we're going to go. And what happens is he didn't have it all mapped out in front of him. He went and along the way at the right time, at the right moment, God comes along and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. In other words, welcome home. You've been invited, but now you're welcome home. And there were Canaanites in the land, and people always feel like, well, what was that like? Did they, were they kicked them out, and how did that work? And let me just say something. I just want to ask any of you in this room, do you know a Canaanite? None of you know a Canaanite, all right, but you know Jewish people, and they came through Abraham's line, and so did Arabic people. But God has given this land to the family line of Abraham through whom Jesus 
would come. He goes up by faith. And here's what happens. I, I want you to realize this in your own life. A lot of you are like, God, if you, if you just show me, then I'll be willing to obey. I'll break up with who I need to break up with. I'll do what you're calling me to do. If you just map it out, then I'll obey. And we want, we're asking God, God, let me see it, and then I'll do it. And that's the way we kind of operate. We're wired to operate that way. But that's not faith. It doesn't require faith. That's not faith at all. Faith is obeying first, and then along the way, trust begins to happen. So you're obeying in just the right moment. God comes along and says, okay, now, here, this is the land I will give you. But God didn't tell him what the land was ahead of time. He just said, there'll be a land, and I'll give it to you, but this is now going to be it. And I want you to know in your own life that God is going to call you to do things and your first response is going to be, well, let me, please, let me just show me how it all works out. But that's not how God works. God wants you and I to choose. We obey. And then when we face disappointment or setbacks or troubles or we have to persevere, we have to endure, we find God being trustworthy along the way. It's natural for us to want God to give it all, provide it all, cover it all, lay it all out. And then we will follow, but that's not how God works. Some of you in your life, like, God, I just want to know how I'm going to make it, you know, financially till the end of my life. So if you could just help me win the lottery, that'd be great. I'd tithe off it. I'd give, you know, I mean, all this. And we think, like, that would be the best idea. And God's like, that's not how I work. Because I think if you won the lottery, you might just run ahead and get off mission. Because you're running to pasture that may not be what I've called you to. And God says, I want to do life with you. I want you to be convinced that I'm your source every day single time. He loves you. He wants relationship with you and me, but oftentimes we have to obey, and then we begin to see trust happen. Number two in your outline, often God is going to do just enough, just in time. We, again, want him to lay it all out ahead of us, but he's often going to just do just enough and just in time, because that's how God works. So we're going to flip from Genesis in the Old Testament back to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive what the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, and if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. See, it's a beautiful thing. He's saying, listen, if Abraham's descendants were like, this has been great, nice field trip and all, but we want to go back to the country we came from, they had every opportunity to do it. But we watched not only Abraham, but his generations beyond him beginning to walk and live by faith. And we watch them basically saying, we're not going to realize the, the, all of it. We're not going to see Jesus be born. We're not going to see all nations be blessed. Abraham's not going to live long enough to see this massive great multitude that would come through his family line. But he believed God and he believed that God is preparing for me a place in heaven, a city. And that's my true citizenship. It's not the country I left. And it's frankly not the country I've come to but that I am a foreigner, a stranger on earth. My citizenship is in heaven. Number three on your outline, I ask you this question, am I more attached to my political party, my alma mater, my home state, or my citizenship? 
than I am to being a Christ follower and citizen of heaven. We get so wound up. We get so uptight about what we perceive to be ours. When we ask a question like that, it makes me begin to think, you know what? This nice little life thing is really getting in the way of what I really want. The truth is, eternity starts when you accept Christ now. And you begin to live into eternity, but there's one little interruption called death. But what I think is most people think of two lives. They think of my, this life on earth, and then I think of that life, whatever it looks like in heaven. But I want you to know that once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and you are spiritually awakened, and the spirit of the living God indwells you, and you come to new life, and your sins are washed away, and you're forgiven, in that moment, you begin now to live one life. It's one life. It's not two lives. It's one life with a little interruption called death. So what we do matters now into eternity. We begin to walk with God now. Once we enter eternity, we will fully know God as we are fully known. But until then, we get every opportunity to know him and trust him and believe him now. We live now by faith, and our faith is a reflection, a precursor as part of our early life for our eternal life. It's one life. But what happens is the enemy wants to come along and convince you it's two lives. So we try to live our own nice little life here, and then God will provide for us a better life in heaven. And the two are in conflict. It is one life. So my question is, what is really hard for you to relinquish to the care and guidance of God? It's one life. But some of you are trying to control this life. Some of you are trying to make this life happen. You're trying to package it up in a nice little deal and you're trying to make it all about this life. But what really deep down in your heart is so hard for you to relinquish to the care and guidance of God? Write it down in your outline because your outline's for you. It's not for anybody else. This is just you processing. God, you're, you're making me reflect and think about my life and that's helpful to me because when I understand and I get real about me and where you have me, then I can understand how to be real with you, God, and I can be real with other people. And guess what? You kick the pedestal out where it tries to make everybody look perfect. I stand on a stage so you can see me, but the reality is I just live a life just like you. And we've got to kick that pedestal out, and we've got to be people who walk by faith. We've got to trust God. We've got to walk with him. Years ago when I was in college, well, let me back up before that. Um, God called me into ministry when I was a ninth grader where I began to hear from God in my heart and he wanted me to go be a pastor. And at first I was like, nope, I'm gonna be a pro soccer player because that's what I wanna do. And I was like, not gonna do it. And God began to wear me down and it took some time, but he began to wear me down. I began to think through and process in my ninth grade mind the only way that I'm gonna find significance in life is really being who God designed me to be and taking what could be an ordinary life and letting God make it unique. And, and so I began to say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. That was ninth grade. Well, fast forward six years later, I'm a sophomore in college and I go to the nation of Israel for my first trip. I did a little in-between semesters month-long trip in Israel, and I'm, I'm in Israel. I'm at a place called Engev, and I'm down by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and if you go to Israel with us, you will go to Engev, and it's a kibbutz, and, I, and down there we stay in these little bungalows, and we're right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and so I'm down there, and I'm kneeling on these pebbles that are by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I'm just praying to God at night. I'm just, I'm just kind of just having, we've been touring all day, and I'm just having some time with the Lord uh, personally, and I'm just praying and talking to him, and 
all of a sudden in my heart, God says, Dave, I want you to be a pastor in Israel. And it shocked me because I'm telling you, I had not heard the intensity of God's voice like that since I was in ninth grade. Like I've been obeying God and I'm listening to the voice of the shepherd and I'm following him and God's, you know, he speaks in our conscience and, and God speaks through his word and God speaks to us. But it was very, very clear. Dave, I want you to be a pastor in Israel. Will you do it? And I instantly have to think, yeah, but I, I got to relinquish. Like, like I like America and I like a nice little life and, and I don't know who I'll marry because I didn't know Heather at the time, but I don't know who I'll marry, but someday would she even want to go if you're calling me there? And I had, to, I had to walk through this relinquishment part all again. Like I'm going to have to give these things up to obey God. And I finally said, okay, Lord, if you want me to be a pastor in Israel, then that's what I'm going to do. And then immediately in my heart, he said, Dave, I am not calling you to be a pastor in Israel. I was testing you to find out will you do whatever I ask you to do. And I was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you're playing me. Like, what is that, right? But I got to tell you, there are times our faith gets tested. God's going to say, you've been following me. You've been doing some good stuff. But I'm going to ask, are you willing to still relinquish? Or have you begun to settle for the comfortable life. So he's not called me to be a pastor in Israel, but praise be to God that I get to be a pastor who takes people to Israel. That's good stuff right there, right? And who knows what the future holds. But I do know that it was very clear that he was like, I'm testing you. I'm testing you. And I, man, it just made me laugh. I hadn't ever had an experience like that with the Lord. Hebrews eleven seventeen. it says this, by faith, Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would embrace the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, in other words, it's through this kid that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And let me tell you how that went. If you look back at the story of Genesis, you got this weird account where God says, I'm going to bless you and make you the father of a great nation. It's going to be through Isaac. But now I want you to take and sacrifice Isaac to me. So it's this horrible picture of a dad with his only son and they gather some supplies together and they go up the mountain and they get on the mountain and they build an altar before the Lord and they lay out the wood and Isaac, the little boy, says, um, Dad, we forgot an animal. We forgot it. And Isaac, uh, Abraham says, the Lord will provide. They keep building the, the altar. They put the, you know, the, the wood up on top and then he takes out a rope and he begins to tie up his son. And he picks up his little boy and he puts him on top of the altar and he reaches in his sash and he pulls out a knife and he literally is like, God wants me to kill, which sounds just very, very weird, my son. And he goes to offer his son a sacrifice and the angel of the Lord stops him and says, look, the Lord has provided the sacrifice for you. There caught in the thicket of bushes is a ram. There is a spotless, appropriate, sacrificial animal right there in the bushes, takes his son down, unties him, they sacrifice it before the Lord. Do you know what mountain that was? It was the same mountain where Jesus, God's only son, was crucified years later. And there's this Old Testament story 
of God requiring something of Abraham and making a great nation through him that later in the New Testament, God would say, I actually went further than Abraham. I sacrificed my one, my only son. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried his cross as far as he could. There's no accident to that. God is giving a foreshadowing of the grace and the love and the sacrifice that God would make for you and me. So what happens? Do you think Isaac remembered that? Do you think maybe he told his mom about it when they got home? Do you think maybe that was a weird discussion <laughs> between Sarah and Abraham? You what? God what? But he watched. And so the scriptures tell us then, verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So here's a father now blessing his sons, and he's looking ahead to the future. They're part of this great generation. They're part of the promise of God. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, whose name, by the way, was liar or deceiver, he comes around. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, those are his grandkids, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And then, by faith, Joseph, when he, the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So you see what happens? That there's this generational observation that happens, and faith, when you and I live by faith, it really makes a difference. And so you watch Abraham live by faith, and Isaac sees it. Isaac lives by faith, and he sees it and shows it. You see Jacob, you see Joseph, and here's Joseph, who's second in command of Egypt, and he's saying, someday we're going to get so numerous, and we're going to be overwhelming, in a sense, for the Egyptians, and we're going to go back. So here, Joseph, he's second in command in Egypt, in Pharaoh's Egypt. He's second in command. But he is looking for his home in the land that God gave his grandfathers, right? And so he gives instructions someday when God frees us from here, here's, I want you to grab my bones, take them with you to the land. Because God promised us the land. And even though we've had this interlude along the way, we still believe by faith God's promise. We're not meant to dwell in Egypt forever. Dwight Moody was a wild and uh, wild child. And his uncle said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to um, hire Dwight because he's such a wild child. I'm almost like out of mercy going to hire him into my shoe shop. And so he did. He just said, I got to keep this kid out of trouble. You know, he can't, his parents can't handle him. So he brings him in. He gives him a job. One of the customers comes in who knows Dwight. He comes to Dwight. They go in the back of the shoe shop. He sits down and he talks to Dwight about how he could give his life to Jesus Christ and what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Well, that day, Dwight Moody accepted Jesus Christ. Dwight Moody would go on from being a wild child. He would go on to put his faith in Jesus, to pass his faith onto his family. He became a pastor. He started a college to teach the Bible to other people who would become pastors and a seminary and did the same thing. Here's a beautiful thing. Dwight Moody preached and a guy got saved. And that guy grew up and he preached and a guy got saved. And that guy grew up and he preached and a guy got saved. And that guy was Billy Graham at a revival. Dwight Moody, the wild child, began to give a legacy of faith that carried through to generations until Billy Graham got saved and he accepted Christ and he was the greatest American revivalist of all time. He was the goat. He was good. 
And in our lifetime, he's gone home to a city that he was looking forward to, not just a nice little life, but the promise of God. I'm I'm looking forward to my inheritance, that my life right now is one life into that. And there's a little interruption called death, but it's one life. Here's what you need to know. Tested faith leaves a footprint of faith for the next generations. That your faith is going to get tested. You're going to face setbacks and disappointments. And there are going to be times that God's going to say, are you still going to keep on keeping on? Are you still going to date the way I want you to date, even if that relationship didn't work out? Are you still going to love me, even if you walk through the disappointments and losses of life? Even if life looks different and things are very different right now, are you still going to follow me? And when you live by faith, it leaves a legacy for the generations, a footprint of faith. And some of you in this room, it's not your children. Maybe even you don't have children. But you've adopted some people with whom you have influence. That there are people who are watching your life, maybe coworkers or others. It was Dwight Moody who a customer walked in and said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus and he accepted Christ. They weren't blood relatives and Billy Graham wasn't his blood relative. But I'm telling you in the life of faith, God has an amazing way to give children to those who don't have children. God gives an amazing way for you to be a part of a legacy. The question is, are you willing to obey him? A problem in our world is we want to look at these people and say, well, they were heroes. They were like the heroes of the faith. They were not normal people or, you know, they weren't, you know, they were unique. They were not just like me. And the truth is that if you and I take your story and your uniqueness and your impact And to remove your faith out of all of that and to remove the fact that you are unique and remove the fact of God's love in your life and your story, if you try to remove it, it's to take your heart and cast it into meaninglessness. It means I don't matter for anything. And that's what our young generations are struggling with right now. If I can't be famous, how am I supposed to be unique? And how are people unique if they can call themselves whatever they want and live however they want? And if there's no absolutes, and it's no wonder that suicide has become the second leading cause of death among millennials. They're hungry for the truth. They want to know, does my story matter? Am I unique? Do I stand out among, is there a, something greater than myself to live for? And listen, you can try to keep up with the always changing waves of social sensitivity and you can stand for justice in every arena until your heart drowns under the accumulated grief of the world. You can remain silent on human design and the value of life, but when you come to believe that your life has no real purpose or grand design, What else follows but depression and despair? You matter. Your story matters. Tell your love story. Tell the story of God's love in your life, his love extended to you, that you could have forgiveness of sins, that you could walk in freedom, that you could live a life now that carries on into eternity, an eternity in the presence of God, not an eternity separated from God, because everybody lives forever somewhere. You were created in your soul to live forever. But we who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we look forward to a city that is built by God. He goes to prepare a place for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. My father's house has many rooms. He's going to prepare that place for us. 
tell the story of love, how God met you in the moments that required the greatest faith in your life. Your faith matters, giving purpose to your life and giving the legacy of faith to future generations. And Hebrews 11 exists as an account of authentic faith in ordinary people that went viral from the Old Testament to the New Testament and frankly, from the New Testament to now. And the question is, God wants to make your life go viral. God wants to make your story matter. And it may only matter because you got saved and maybe somebody else got saved and somebody else got saved, but along the way, God is creating an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade in people, more people than you know, who will come to him. On your outline, there's a fill in the blank. It says, by faith, I will. My question is, what will you do? Some of you, you need to finally take that first step of faith to say, I could have my sins forgiven and washed away because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he offers it to me as a free gift of eternal life. It's a beautiful thing. For others of you, God's been speaking to your heart this morning. He's been showing you where you're captive. He's been showing you where you're bound up. He's been showing you where you've been living for security and not by faith. And I just want you to ask, just to answer that question, by faith, what will you do? Now what? We heard the so what, and the question is now what? This year, we need to grow as faith as a church to hear God, to know him, and to please him. And we will live by faith, and I believe our church will leave a legacy. This church has been doing that for 30 years, and it will continue. But it starts with us. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, I want you for a moment to say, have you taken that initial step of faith? And if today is the day that you'd like to give faith to Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to be washed white as snow and made new, and come to spiritual life, then you pray a prayer to God. He hears you. Like this, right after me, just to pray this. Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, you rose to new life, because you're God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow. Make me unique and make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, will you raise your hand if you prayed that prayer? Anywhere around the room, you prayed that prayer right here in the middle, awesome. Greatest decision you two could ever make. Anywhere else around the room, you might be in the loft, my friends would see you up there, right here on the front, greatest decision you could ever make. That God just says, I love you. My forgiveness is for you. All the way in the back, I see two hands in the back. I see another one right over here. That's awesome. Will you give it up for what God is doing among us? That is a good thing. Let me pray. Jesus, I ask you right now, my friends who've already accepted you, that God, even right now, they would take that thing that they know they need to relinquish to you, and would you hear them? And so believers in the room, this is your moment for you to tell God, God, I'm going to relinquish this, or I'm going to follow through on what you've told me this morning. And my question is, will you simply tell God that? Believers, this is your moment of decision. God, it's so freeing when we begin to step away from our own nice little life and we begin to follow in a way that causes us to live by faith. Thank you that you believe in us, God, by faith. We can believe you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. 
For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.